Hello, everybody. Kyle jumping in at the top of the episode. First of all, I want to let everyone know Pagan was feeling a little under the weather last week, so we did not get a recording in. We hope you enjoy this wonderful, wonderful interview we did with Storm Fairy Wolf. If you don't remember, we did a, a, a blog interview with Storm on the website, revelatornetwork.com forward slash news. You can find it. It'll be linked in the show notes for this one as well. I'd also like to say Storm did an amazing extra bonus content with us at the end. It's just totally beautiful. Uh, he did that for our membership program listeners. So if you're wanting to get a hold of that, you can do that by going over to revelatornetwork.com forward slash subscribe, become a member there at the $20 level, get access to your bonus feed, or you can share the show out with friends at refer.fm forward slash chaos. That is our new partnership program thing we were talking about for the last couple of weeks. And that way you can get access to the site. There's also a free trial. So for what it's worth, I get it. Money's tight these days. Um, refer.fm forward slash chaos. Share the show with your friends. After you do the little, give them your email and your name. That's all you have to do. Share out a link. They listen. You get access for free. Uh, same goes for that trial. If you want to go over there and just click on that, you get two weeks for free as well. So you can just grab that Storm Fairy Wolf, Laura Tempest Zakroff, and more bonus interviews. Oh, Michelle Bellinger's up there. So get a hold of those. Have fun with it. And uh, enjoy this episode. We'll chat with you very soon. Got an episode coming on Hemisync and the CIA's Gateway Project. That's really exciting. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here today by my co-host, Pagan. Pagan, how are you today? I am doing good. How are you doing? Lovely, because today we are joined by Storm Fairy Wolf. You may have seen Storm post up on our blog doing a Q&A there. Storm is a professional author, an experienced teacher, a visionary poet, and professional warlock. He's a co-owner of The Mystic Dream, a spiritual supply and bookstore where he teaches and offers spiritual and mystical services. He's a founding teacher of the Black Rose Witchcraft Online School, and he travels internationally, well, pending COVID, of course. He is the author of Betwixt in Between, Exploring the Fairy Tradition of Witchcraft, Forbidden Mysteries of Fairy Witchcraft, and The Stars Within the Earth. Storm, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today in audio form. How are you today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here. We love your work. Pagan has just absolutely been raving about it and has put together <laughs> some wonderful questions today. Pagan, thank you so much for all of this. I am so excited because uh, we, again, conducted the online interview, and that was that was that was when you your head was really down. You're working on an upcoming book here, which we want to talk about in a bit. But for everyone else that didn't get that kind of introduction, um, could you could you give a little bit of background storm on on where folks uh, in our community who's so ingrained with Laura Tempest Zakrov and and Devin Hunter, could you talk a, a little bit about how you're in that community space as well? Well, let's see. I um, I've been a witch for um, many years, more than I care to count right now. <laughs> and, um, um, mainly, you know, I, I met, um, a bunch of these people, um, through different pagan festivals. You know, I actually met Devin, who's um, one of my partners now. I met him at a festival, um, called between the worlds in Ohio, which was a festival. It well, it was, and is, it remains a festival for, um, um, queer pagan men. And, um, I met, Tempest, Laura Tempest-Zakroff, I believe I probably met her either at PantheaCon um, 
or through my friend Anar. Anar is um, the current grandmaster of the um, what's often called the Anderson fairy tradition. Um, but I, my interests have um, led me to witchcraft ever since I was small. And I, since PantheaCon, which of course is no more, but it used to be the largest indoor um, pagan event um, um, that was basically in my backyard. And so I had the um, the privilege and the opportunity to go and um, teach at PantheaCon every year. Um, my store, The Mystic Dream, when, when we were still a physical store, um, we would go and vend, um, you know, there. And we also hosted the Black Rose Witchcraft um, Hospitality Suite and, and put on some parties. I don't know if you guys ever made it out to PantheaCon and came to any of our parties, but they were off the hook. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> But our my um, particular interest has always been just in the in the craft, and then I found the fairy tradition um, many years ago, um, mainly first through the pages of Starhawk's The Spiral Dance, but then later through in person training here in the San Francisco Bay Area where I live, and that's kind of still remains kind of the mecca I would say of the fairy witchcraft tradition, since the founders um, lived here in the San Francisco Bay Area, so. I just feel like I was kind of fortunate just where I was placed. I have always been able to have these, you know, nice connections kind of falling in my lap. And I'm very, very, very blessed, very pleased. That's absolutely amazing and awesome. And unfortunately, no, we have not gotten to go to PantheaCon, sadly. Hopefully uh, one day post-COVID, if it ever resumes and all that good stuff, we'll get to go. Yes. Sadly, it's <laughs> done. Yeah. Sadly, the um, they are done with PantheaCon. It, it was like... I want to say it was like maybe I can't remember how many years it went on 20 something oh, wow. years. And um, it, it was amazing. But um, the woman who um, um, put it together, Glenn Turner, um, she also owned um, Ancient Ways, which is a long running um, pagan shop um, in Oakland, California. And um, to my understanding, she just recently, as of in the last couple of years, sold that as well. So, um, but yeah, no more PantheaCon. Um, there are a Aww. couple things that they're hoping to kind of take that place. And we'll see as time goes on, obviously COVID, you know, mm-hmm. is um, kind of taking its toll on a lot of those in-person things. So a lot of things have been moved to online venues. <clears throat> and um, in fact, Devin and Tempest and Matt Oren and myself are in the process of putting together um, another online um, event. We did one, um, I don't know, several months ago last year, um, called the Witch's Sabbath. Yes. And um, we're hoping to do another one soon. Although all of us are dealing with book deadlines right now, you know, <laughs> so we're, we're all kind of just in our little writing caves and hopefully coming up for air soon. We we are doing a, a detriment to all of your deadlines because uh, we, we've been just speaking <laughs> to so many folks. We were so honored because uh, Tempest reached out to us with press passes to uh, The Last Witch's Sabbath, which is really, I think, where we got, uh, again, extra special connections with folks. We got to really put names and voices to practices and, and got to meet the people's personalities, if you will. So all of yeah. that wonderful work that you and, and friends have been and putting together, it's wonderful uh we were just in oh, tempest's waking persephone the other mm-hmm. day and uh it's just such a a great group of humans that you all associate with and and just those events that are whipped together have such a, a flair to them so serious kudos for the magic that really pulls through oh thank yes. you 
Thank you so much. You know, I, I think it makes a big difference when you have a group of people that actually enjoy working together. And um, I absolutely love Tempest. She is one of my favorite people. Um, we we often joke that um, we are kind of not exactly twins, kind of sibling. We're we're weather siblings. I think is what, what, what she said, her, the tempest and I, the storm. So, um, you know, okay. I just, and I, I always kind of joke that, um, cause a lot of people will think that she's fairy tradition and she's not, but her kind of ecstatic approach to witchcraft just meshes so nicely with mm-hmm. what people know at fairy. So we often kind of joke that she is fairy adjacent, you know, because all, a lot of her friends too, are also, um, fairy people or ecstatic witchcraft people. And I think that when you get a group of people of like mind, and that doesn't mean you have to agree on everything, of course, absolutely. In fact, you shouldn't. Um, but I think when you get people who really respect each other and enjoy working together, you can really make something beautiful. And I'm so glad that you guys had a good experience at the first Witches' Sabbath. It was kind of an experiment for us. And mm-hmm. so we learned a lot, um, especially on the tech end, you know, and how we could do <laughs> things better. And so we're really looking forward to um doing that again, but kind of up, upping it, upping the, making it more, a little bit more upscale next time. So I'm really, really excited about making that happen. Very excited. No, no word yet. We did have dates already planned, but um, I've noticed we haven't had our meetings lately. And like I said, we're all in (laughs) book deadline world. So I think we're kind of decide, we we, we probably are putting it off a a little bit, but um, hopefully when we come up for air, we'll be able to get our stuff together and make it happen. Totally. Well, whenever it happens, it's going to be so awesome. Well, we are so looking forward to the next one. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, I'm so glad you guys had a good time. It was, you know, it was a little, a little unnerving, you know, doing this thing for the first time and, um, you know, not sure how people are going to receive it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, especially the way I operate, um, in terms of my approach to the craft, um, doesn't necessarily line up with, what people expect from Wicca. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't really, I, I have been initiated into Wicca, you know, but that's not really what I do and nothing against Wicca. I think Wicca is beautiful. Um, but in, in terms of what people expect from like published sources, you know, and they call that Wicca, um, that's not really the witchcraft that I do. So I'm always a little like nervous. Like, people are going to actually connect with this or everything. And I think it's evil, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and usually people are pretty good. I'm, I've been pretty blessed. You know, there's been a few people that are maybe a little scared by what I do. And you can kind of see examples of that. If you go to Amazon and read some of the reviews oh. you know, for a bit to extend between, but those are the ones I love because, you know, it just gives me a little, a little, satanic warm feeling in my belly (laughs) i've seen some of those reviews yes uh those are always very interesting you know very very heavy on the satanic panic of course the reviews yes uh i was wondering though storm this might be a good opportunity to do it and i i know we could spend probably 12 hours minimum on this subject but for people that are are listening to this podcast that aren't as familiar with the fairy tradition uh, would you be able to give them some sort of um, sub- summary as to where that deviation falls? Because I think very, very particularly there, you were saying, you know, they'll come um, to those events, but maybe not follow your exact line. So do you want to maybe talk to our audience? Because I know they're a very open minded group that love <laughs> fairy tradition and, and always want to know more. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, first, the first thing I always say about fairy tradition and 
What I have to start by saying is that I'm talking about a very specific form of American witchcraft, a, a lineaged form of American witchcraft. Some people call it Anderson fairy or the American fairy tradition. The problem with just quote the fairy tradition is that there are actually so many different fairy traditions all over the planet. And when you say the fairy tradition, people kind of assume, oh, you're, you mean like in Ireland and you're leaving out offerings for the fae. Now, that is part of my personal practice, but that doesn't really sum up the fairy tradition. Sometimes it's spelled F-E-R-I, and that was a, um, a, a spelling trick by the late founder, Victor Anderson, to try to differentiate it from other forms of fairy tradition. Um, I tend to spell it with the archaic F-A-E-R-Y because that's what was the general spelling when I first came into the trad, and it kind of speaks of that folklore. But specifically, the tradition I'm talking about, it is, a, again, an initiatory form of a, of a mystery witchcraft tradition. Um, it stems from the teachings of the late Victor and Cora Anderson. And I would say the big thing that differentiates it from um, the popular mindset of Wicca is that whereas Wicca tends to be described as maybe a fertility tradition, you know, there tends to be an emphasis on magical polarity, um, often in gendered form. Um, and fairy tradition tends to be focused more on ecstasy, so uh, achieving ecstatic states. And there is no gender role, you know, in fairy tradition. You know, um, men and women and non-binary are all honored and equal. And in fact, our creation myth is very queer. You know, the, the, in a nutshell, the star goddess who is the void, you know, looks into the curved mirror of black space, which is herself, and she sees her own reflection and she falls in love. And then she makes love with that reflection. And from her great orgasm, the entire universe is born. And so this is not only a queer myth, but it's a myth of self-love. Um, and then she, at some point, her womb um, becomes impregnated with two bright spirits. And it's said that she then, it, within her womb, perfects them into God. And she gives birth to the God, um, usually um, in his first form as the blue God, often called Jenny Glass. And so in our mythos, and I'm going to give a tip of the hat, to um, fairy initiate Teethorn Coyle, um, she would often say that our goddess, the star goddess, is pre-gender, but our god is post-gender because Jenna Glass is often depicted as um, androgynous. And so then we have this whole spectrum of um, gender and sexual possibilities. And so you really can't lift anybody over anybody else, you know, in terms of that gender. And so... To me, it is just kind of this um, ecstatic um, recognition of just life in all of its different diverse forms. And to me, that's the core of the fairy tradition. It's also a very nebulous tradition, and this can be very frustrating because, um, and I say this as a person who's written a couple of books now, you know, on this tradition, you can't really encapsulate it, you know, because my experience of fairy tradition is likely going to be very different than another initiate's experience. And they're both valid. You know, we might actually be working with different gods, different spirits. Um, one of the tricky things about our tradition is uh, Victor Anderson had said that we don't have our own pantheon 
And he was really kind of focusing on the fact that pantheon means all the gods. And so when, this is a little bit in my book, you know, when he was asked by one of his initiates, well, then who, what gods do the fairy worship? He responded, all of them. And so it doesn't actually matter which deities you might be working with. That's still equally fairy. You know, so I could work with these that I'm talking about. There's a particular teaching pantheon that we work with in Blue Rose that's been handed down. Um, but that's no more fairy than somebody who's working with ancient Greek deities or Irish deities or whatever deities, you know, whatever spirits are actually talking to you. That's fairy because fairy is really just about having a relationship with the other world. You know, and, and we tend to not put a lot of um, time or emphasis on trying to put hardcore definitions on those things because we recognize that you really can't define it. At some point, that's beyond human our human ability to comprehend to some degree. And so, Mike's again, my experience of the mystery is going to be my own. And then your experience of the mystery is going to be your own. But it's in, in fairy, it would be all equally valid. And so this can get a little tricky because people want there to be, well, what is the tradition? You know, well, well what rituals constitute the tradition? Well, we're not so much about the outer form. Although, paradoxically, we love our outer forms, right? Because it's mm-hmm. all about creativity, you know, poetic prowess, you know, kind of a tip of the hat to the ancient Irish um, spiritual mindset, which stated that um, spiritual power and poetic ability were synonymous. You know, so it's all about tapping into that creative flow and allowing that to move through us so that we can create. And it's in the act of creation that that magic is truly touched. That is so beautifully put. And it really does kind of encapsulate the forbidden mysteries of fairy witchcraft. And it was so interesting when I was writing the review, I'm like, how do I write a review that has so much amazing stuff in this book without giving it all away? Oh my goodness. Thank you. That's, wow, and that's it was kind. just, it was so wonderful to do that. And it was, it was a great book. It's fantastic audience. Please go buy it. It's great. Oh my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one seems to be getting more traction. I kind of assumed maybe because I also talk about some of the darker stuff. Mm-hmm. you know, in there, which was a little bit in response to some of those aforementioned Amazon reviews. They were a little scared <laughs> about betwixt in between, you know, so I, I mentioned the Baphomet, you know, and betwixt in between, and then somebody got really scared. So I made sure that not only was I putting Baphomet in the second book, but I got a picture of him too. You know, so there you go. So you're, you're all welcome. And it's, you know, interesting that we're talking about this as well, because, you know, currently here in the U.S., we're actually going through this massive upheaval and transition. So talking about the ways that the fairy tradition is kind of not really set, I guess, in stone in its terms of the mystical is a really great way to kind of look at it. So can you tell our audience about how working with the fairy tradition or fairy witchcraft might be a really good time for them during this time of change. Well, the first thing I want to say to that is it would be good if you're drawn to it, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think that we're all drawn to different avenues of power, right? And so what I I found a lot of power and resonance in fairy witchcraft, um, but one of my, 
you know, friends might find that same power and presence in Gardnerian tradition, right? And so I'm not here to say, oh, fairy is the thing, right? It's gonna, it, it'll change your life. It'll do your windows. You know, I'm, you know, I think that if you're drawn to it, you know, then it's saying that there's something there. But if you are drawn to the fairy tradition, um, I think that one of the big things that it has to offer is uh, is about being able to better step into that creative center, you know, and, and tap into our creative process. And when I say creative process, I am talking about like maybe making art, you know, writing poetry, um, you know, dance, you know, any of the expressive creative arts, but then being able to frame that in a spiritual way. You know, not necessarily in a transcendent, heady way, like, oh, my God, you know, this is so important and I'm doing this devotion. You could be making macaroni art and that's fine. You know, it's you know, it's all about getting into that creative space. But then recognizing that we are when we are in that creative space and this is divorced from whatever form it might be in terms of our output. So, again, macaroni art would be fine. Um, it, it's when we're in that creative space, we are communing with the star goddess who is the act of creation, the first act of creation. And when we frame it that way, then we start to get better effects. You know, it starts to change us on a deeper level. You know, we start to be able to not only get more creative, um, and that is, I, I know a lot of people that came to fairy specifically because they liked that some of the exercises worked with creativity and they were hoping that maybe it would help them inspire them and their own art and, and things like that. And I'm definitely one of those occultists that really feels that our occult work should inspire our art. You know, we should be able to express it, you know, through our art. And some people say, well, not art for art's sake. And I'm going to say, yeah. Art for art's sake, you know, I think making art in whatever form, you know, is a spiritual act. You know, it is kind of elevating the world, you know, on some level. You know, there, there's something about just bringing beauty to the world that I think is really necessary right now. But it's not all about beauty. You know, art isn't always pretty. You know, art really should also make you feel something. Not always nice things, right? Because sometimes we need to feel things that are in our shadow. You know, that's why I think artists, especially in times that are as tenuous as the way we've been going through in the United States, you know, for the past, you know, four plus years, um, I think it's really important that we focus on artists, that we support artists, um, because those are the people that are actually being able to show us different facets of the truth, you know, in a way that we maybe couldn't get that message otherwise, right? So art becomes kind of a type of divination you know, a way to delve deeply into our soul and into our collective soul and be able to bring things out so that we can examine it. So art can also be a type of shadow work on the personal, but also on the transpersonal. So these are all things that I feel are really kind of part and parcel, you know, with the fairy tradition, just getting into that creative flow and allowing that to inspire us because that can then take us to other places that perhaps we wouldn't have been able to get to otherwise. Wow. <laughs> that was kind of mind blowing because it's true though. The, the fairy tradition, when I was working through your book, it actually did open up a lot of the avenues within my art. So that's really awesome. Nice. To hear. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's <laughs> awesome. That, and that's great for me to hear. Oh, th <laughs> that makes me feel like I'm successful. So thank you so much. That's, that's amazing. You are most welcome. 
So moving on to the Blue Rose tradition that you teach, mm-hmm. for those who are unequated, um, maybe tell us a little bit about what it is and what people could expect if they signed up for your classes. All right. So Blue Rose, so I'm going to talk in two terms. I'm going to talk about Black Rose and also Blue Rose because they're they're certainly related. So I'm going to talk Black Rose first. Black Rose is the publicly available um, course in witchcraft um, that um, along with myself, my partners, Chaz Bogan and Devin Hunter, we wrote it together and we've been offering it. It's an online course. Um, Roughly, we say it's 13 months, um, but you can actually take longer. You can take as long as you want. Um, Lessons unlock weekly. There's 52 lessons and they're grouped into 13 quote unquote monthly themes that are each exactly four weeks long. And this isn't on one level, it's an introduction to witchcraft, but it's not necessarily just Wiccan witchcraft, although it does have Wiccan elements because we all know what that's like, right? We've all read the books, we've all done the practice, and there's a lot of really good stuff there. But we also bring in other forms of witchcraft, notably fairy. There's a lot of fairy material in the in the Black Rose work. Um, but also things, ideas from the sabbatic craft, you know, kind of um, riffing off of the works of Andrew Chumbly and others, you know, out there. Um, conjure work, fo- American folk magic plays a role, you know, in, in this work as well. So it's kind of an introduction on one level, um, and but it's also in-depth work. Um, in fact, we do get people joining and then they're surprised that there's actually a level of work that's expected, you know, from people. But again, you could take it as, you know, as slowly as you'd like. Um, it's $25 a month for 12 months or 250 up front for the whole thing. And again, everything unlocks every week. Um, so that's Black Rose. And so that's the introduction. And, and for the people who are perhaps to, wanting to take Blue Rose training, which is specifically the American or Anderson fairy tradition, and it's the lineage that I founded, um, they would need to take the Black Rose course first. Um, just to be considered. And I don't take everybody. In fact, I've gotten more picky, you know, as time has gone on. I've been teaching fairy tradition since 2002. And um, so I used to take just everybody, you know, off the street, and I just don't do that anymore. Um, but if you finish the Black Rose work, um, get the online initiation, because there actually is a trans journey initiation at the culmination of Black Rose. Um, and then you're eligible to get the application to then apply, to be considered, (laughs) um, to be part of Blue Rose. But with Blue Rose, um, it's actually pretty much one-on-one training. I do everything through our our, um, Discord channel. Um, And so it's all live. Whereas Black Rose is all automated. You know, so there's MP3s, um, PDFs to read, that sort of thing. I might not even have any interaction with the students for their entire time. Um, unless they make an appointment with me. Um, but with Blue Rose, it's all live, again, mostly one-on-one, so that I can only take a certain number of people because there's mm-hmm. just so much time in the day and the week. Um, but Blue Rose is, um, again, it's, it's the lineage of fairy that I founded. Um, I actually don't even remember when I founded it because um, I was actually teaching fairy before I declared my own lineage. And um, I declared my own lineage. I'd have to look back on my notes, but at some point, I want to say it's probably 2007, um, maybe 2007. Um, I had the honor of being presented um, the Black Wand 
um, in our tradition from both Cora Anderson, who was one of the founders, and Anar, who is the current grandmaster. And um, depending on how you look at it, the black wand is considered to be like, I don't know, almost like a lifetime achievement award, I guess, you know, within within our tradition to those lines that actually um, use it. Because, of course, like I said, we're pretty nebulous and there's nothing really universal in our tradition. So some lines don't even look at it. Um, but it it part of the lore is that it empowers you to start your own lineage or your own cult you know, within the tradition, <laughs> as it says, I know, right? I'm like, technically, I'm a cult leader. So, um, <laughs> gotta, gotta watch that, right? Um, so, um, but then after, after I received that honor, um, I declared my own lineage of Blue Rose. And that's a little bit of a tip of the hat. The lineage that I was trained in um, is most commonly called Blood Rose. Um, and that it, um, was a stylistic, stylistically different approach to fairy than what um, Victor and Cora were teaching in the sense that Victor and Cora, their teachings were rather um, nebulous and Spartan. Like they would, for example, we have an exercise in fairy that most people are familiar with at this point called the iron pentacle. And in fact, um, reclaiming tradition, which stems from fairy, you know, uses the iron pentacle um, quite a lot. Um, but Victor would say, Oh, here are the points: sex, pride, self, power, passion, maybe not in that order. You know, and then he'd say, go meditate on it. Um, the people that founded Blood Rose decided, well, we're actually going to come up with exercises about running energy around these points. You know, so they kind of created a system based on the nebulous lore, you know, that Victor was teaching. And then they came up with these exercises and these ways, these ways to do things. And that was a double-edged sword, right? Because it certainly gave people stuff to do you know, who, who needed to learn that way. The, the flip side or the shadow of that is then some people decided, oh, this is the way it's done, right? seems mm -hmm. like the minute you write something down and you say, oh, here's an exercise for this, then some people say, that's the only way it can be done. That's the <laughs> correct way, right? And so my thing with Blue Rose is obviously I was, I was trained with the Blood Rose material. So um, that has obviously influenced, you know, for those in the know in our tradition, they can certainly see the blood rose influence. Um, but I try my best to also express that these are really just suggestions. You know, any exercise that a teacher gives you, you know, yeah, you should work with it as given for a length of time, but there's no guarantee that it's actually going to get you into the spiritual space that it's intending. And so we may have to tweak things or change things completely. You know, my responsibility as a teacher, you know, is to really um, make sure that I'm aware, you know, as much as I can of what is going on with my students and then make making suggestions based on what's going on in their life. So, hey, this exercise doesn't seem to be doing, you know, what it's intended to do. So let's try to figure out where the block is or the resistance. And maybe we could do a different exercise that will better address where you're at and kind of get you into that space. So that's also why I think that books are great, but they don't take the place of an actual mentorship, you know, with a live person um, because the book can't adapt. You know, the book can't say, oh, okay, well, maybe you're not a visual person. So now we're going to, we're going to do this instead. 
You know, we're going to work on these other senses or, you know, know, whatnot. In the books, I try to put as much of a rounded material in there as possible, try to cast that wide net, right? So that people can, you know, find some foothold, you know, but again, there wouldn't be any substitution for just doing it live, you know, so that we can make changes. And, and also when I'm doing trance, which is the big thing I do um, when I'm working with students is I will lead them through um, trances, you know, when either just with um, energy exercises, working with symbols, but specifically working with spirits. And I will, of course, have some bullet points as to how I think the trance will go, right? But then really, once we engage, you know, those inner temples, and we're working with those spirits, I always say all bets are off. Because my biggest job then is to simply describe what I'm experiencing and relay that to the student Mm -hmm. because the spirits might have other ideas and ultimately it's the spirits who are teaching witchcraft you know we can teach things like recipes and i can teach you how to sit properly and 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 to breathe and you know these you know tricks that have helped me you know along the way but ultimately it's the spirits who are plugging you in you know to these deeper powers you know so they might have other plans you know and there's been plenty of times i've led a trance and it did not go where I thought it was going to go, but it went exactly where that student needed it to go. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always kind of constantly amazed and humbled, you know, by working with them because it always kind of reminds me like, hey, this is real. And I think we do need those reminders, you know, that what we're working with is not just a mental construct, you know, that there is something else at play, you know, and it's, I think it's really easy us living in the modern world to kind of start to assume that it's just, oh, it's just a projection. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm entertaining myself. <laughs> you know? um, and that's actually something I talked a little bit about in my first of the fairy books, Betwixt and Between. Um, little, a little story I put in there called My Most Humiliating Moment, and I won't take up time to actually describe it now. You know, but for those of you who are interested, it's in Betwixt and Between, My Most Humiliating Moment, but it was such a... <laughs> real life-changing experience for me that taught me that, oh, I wasn't treating things as if they were real. You know, when I was going into these inner temples, I was basically just treating it just as a mental exercise or a mental projection. Didn't realize that's what I was doing. Um, But when I had a very profound experience with one of these, my um, teacher brought that up to me and I was mortified (laughs) <laughs> and, um, but I, I learned a lot from it. And so that's always kind of in the forefront now, or in the, or at least in the back of my mind that, okay, I'm, this is real. Right. And so that, that really affected also how we approach the work in Black Rose. One of the um, things that we talk about is no matter what your relationship is to the gods and the spirits, you know, you might be a soft polytheist, you might be a hard polytheist, which means on either end of that spectrum, you already have ideas about how Mm -hmm. the universe works. And really what we want you to do is when we're having those experiences with them, we want you to throw those assumptions out the window and we want you to approach the gods as a capital M mystery, right? We don't know the nature of the gods because ultimately we don't. You might think you know, but that's just, that's in your head. You're just thinking, you know, and that's okay. That can get us by, you know, half the time. But ultimately, we don't exactly know, you know, what the nature of the gods are. We just know what our relationships are with them. And they say that the, 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 um, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. 
And that means in this regard, how do, how do, how do, how does working with the gods affect your life? You know, does it actually improve your life? Do you have discernible results? Well, then yes, they're real, but I still can't tell you what their exact nature is, but I know that they're real for me and they have provided me opportunities to grow, you know, and to improve my life, you know, so I know they're real. I just couldn't tell you exactly where they come from. Are they all in my head? Maybe, but kind of in that lawn Milo Duquette way, it's all in your head. You just have no idea how big your head is, right? The whole universe <laughs> is there. So um, I think it's one of those paradoxes. And of course, fairy tradition just thrives on paradox. And so I, I feel very comfortable in that that nebulous paradoxical space. Wow. I, I don't know how many times Kyle and I have had those paradoxical kind of mm-hmm. conversations that just go so deep that we're just like, how did we get here? Yeah. But this <laughs> is cool. I love it. So uh, now I do have questions about your new book. The book oh, that sure. you keep tweeting about that you're teasing on Twitter and it's driving me crazy because I want to read it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us more Yay. about it, please? <laughs> yes. Is that, I, now there's actually two. I, I um so I I already turned in the manuscript for the witch's name. Mm-hmm. And um and I should have been told I should be tweeting about that because that's the first one that's gonna come out. I don't know when yet, but um, but that one's done. And, or at least mostly done. I'm sure I'll get some note back that says, oh, can we tweak this? Can we tweak that? But the bulk of it is done. The Witch's Name is not just a book on names. It is really a book on creating the magical persona. And then the name kind of being being like the outer form of that, kind of the spell that, that brings it into manifestation. So I was really excited about that because, of course, I have a weird name. And I have a name that um, a lot of people actually make fun of and and make a a point of doing so, you know, on the internet. And I will get little messages from people like, oh, I can't take him seriously with a name like Storm Fairy Wolf, you know, and that's okay because I wasn't asking you to take me seriously. Um, I don't even know who you are, so I'm not really taking you (laughs) seriously, you know, so whatever. But I, the reason I have that name is because elements of that came to me in, in deep visionary experiences and very powerful dreams. And so it all means something to me. It wasn't just like, oh, I wanted to, I went to the pagan name generator, you know, and <laughs> came up with, you know, remember that? There, I think it was like yes. the city's website <laughs> oh or something, like, oh, the 90s. But, oh, um, the 90s indeed. Wow. I, I feel officially old now. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, girl. I'm, please, don't even get me started. But, um, but, but it all meant something to me. And so after somebody else had like made some sort of s- snarky comment, you know, I was like, you know what, just to, you know, poke you, I'm going to go ahead and write a book about it now. You know, so that was basically how that book came about. about. It was a little bit of spite, um, but it was also, I felt like a grand opportunity to talk about my process with it. But anyway, so that's the witch's name. So I don't know exactly when that is coming out yet, but as soon as I know anything, you know, I'll be tweeting about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that I've been tweeting about, um, it has a working title of Brothers of the Art, and it is specifically a book on... Um, witchcraft specifically for queer men. And um, I'm hopeful that people outside of um, the queer male community will also get something out of it. But I wanted specifically to talk to that community because, of course, it's really my core community. Mm-hmm. And I felt that there was really nothing out there, really. I mean, there's, there's some stuff, but nothing that really served this level. And um, it's also got a what I would consider to be a healthy dose of queer sex magic you know, in in there as well. And that was always something 
that drew me to the craft. I always just intuitively knew that sex played a deep role in the magic of the craft. But then I, you know, when I first really came to the craft, when I was like 12 and 13 and I was reading books, um, I remember reading um, in America, it was, a couple of books were published together as a witch's Bible, sometimes a witch's Bible complete, Janet and Stuart Ferrer, if I'm even mm-hmm. pronouncing that right. Um, but they were very clear on, oh, you know, we don't, you know, all the reports of witchcraft orgies are blown out of proportion. We don't do that. And it, it, it did seem very British in that sense of very prim and proper. <laughs> and, and I, even at like, you know, 13, you know, I was like, no, nah, this ain't right. You know, there's, there's, I think, you know, I, I think you doth protest too much. You know, there was something there that I felt like, no, you're just kind of glossing this over. But then in addition to that, there was really, of course, especially back then, because you have to understand, I, you know, I'm, I just turned 50, you know, so, um, you know, in the seventies and eighties, there was still such a huge emphasis on gender polarity you know, in the craft. And there really still is, although a lot of people are kind of coming out of that now. And so they think it's a good time for my book. Um, But I I really felt that, you know, the gay male experience specifically wasn't really being served. You know, I would, you know, everything had to be boy, girl, boy, girl. You know, I, I had been to rituals where they wouldn't let, you know, two men stand next to each other. They had to put a woman in between us because, oh, the magical current. You know, and it really, to me, it's like, well, this is heterosexism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this idea that like your model is the only model, you know, and I'm not here to say that the heterosexual model isn't right or good. It's obviously the model that makes more people, you know, and, you know, and that's, that's a powerful and beautiful thing, but it's not the only model, you know, it's not the only way it's not the only lens, you know, through which we can view the magical universe. And so that's also part of my book is kind of, kind of exploring other ideas beyond polarity or even looking at polarity through non-gendered eyes, you know, even that gender law, you know, that comes from hermeticism, you know, I feel has been really, at least from my perspective has really been misunderstood. And I really kind of, I know some, a lot of people would disagree with me, but I just abandoned that one altogether the law of gender. I, I don't think it's useful. It doesn't speak to me. Um, if, if it works for somebody else, that's great. Um, but it doesn't work for me. And so I refuse to be bound by it. And I, I remember early on, um, shortly, probably shortly after I started my website, fairywolf.com, um, which was like 99 back in the day, um, I was talking about um, the possibility of a gay great right. And um, especially back then, people were just offended. You know, it was like, no, you can't, you, you, could, you could do something similar, but you'd have to call it something else. It's not the great right, because the great right is only the mystery of the man and the woman coming together. And if gay people want to do it, then they have to focus on their own inner male and female. And I'm kind of standing in opposition to that. You can do that. But what I'm kind of proposing is we don't have to focus on an inner male and female, you know, that's still a heterosexist model. It's, it's still enshrining the male female binary as the model by which we're going to judge all of the relationships, you know, even if we're just taking that in subconsciously, you know, so I'm, I'm out here saying, no, I'm a man. I'm a gay man. I'm a different kind of man than maybe you were expecting. 
you know, but it wouldn't be accurate to call me feminine, you know, um, it, you know, I can do things that are traditionally associated with femininity, you know, and that's fine, but I'm, I'm here to kind of like stand in the face of those assumptions. Um, so that's part of the book as well, but I definitely wanted to put in, um, working with sex magic and it's a little explicit, although I hope it's not too explicit. We'll see what my editors have to say <laughs> when I, when I turn it in next month, I, I think it's about just, just next month, about a month away from now is my deadline. Um, and I'm, I'm doing pretty good on it, but I, 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 I keep it respectful. Um, but I'm also graphic in the sense that I'm explaining how to do sex rituals. You know, I'm, I'm basically, um, teaching queer men how to do mindfulness masturbation, you know, and then to use that as a foundation. And then we're actually going to go into these rituals and spells that have a sexual component. Um, and in my chapter on spells, which I'm working on now, um, I do have spells that are blatantly sexual, but then if I do have any sexual spells, I'm also giving methods to make them quote unquote, non-sexual mm -hmm. because it shouldn't all be about that either. You know? So I didn't want it to just all be about sex magic. Um, but I definitely wanted that to be in there because I wanted to give the idea that, Hey, even queer sex is holy. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not just man and woman coming together and now they can make a baby, you know, queer sex just for fun and bonding and, you know, ultimate hotness, you know, that is holy as well. You know, that in, in fairy tradition, sometimes we have a, a phrase, the holy lust. Mm -hmm. That is a reminder that our lust, our drive, you know, um, that is, that's a holy thing too. So it's not just, you know, prim and proper, you know, missionary sex, you know, for the purpose of a child, you know, <laughs> that's holy. Sure. That's holy. But, um, so is like, Hey, sailor, you know, let's, let, let's get it on and whatever. Hey, that's pretty holy too. Um, because that's a human need, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the, the body is just as holy as the spirit. In fact, they're not separate. You know, the, the, the body we might think of as the visible end of the spectrum that is spirit you know? And so they're, they're not separated at all. But I think that that idea that like some sex is okay and some isn't, that's really a holdover from, um, mostly from Christianity that is really in its orthodoxy has, um, relatively demonized the physical. And so that's one of the things that I really was drawn to in the craft was there was an acknowledgement of the power and the holy presence of carnality. And to some degree, it's also about transgression, you know, because we do live in a society that I would say has a kind of schizophrenic or bipolar view, you know, of sexuality, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, oh, only in certain ways and whatever, we're going to legislate your body. But then also in capitalism, sex sells, sex sells, right. you know, we're going to put <laughs> scantily clad women on the hood of a car and we're going to have toddlers and tiaras you know, over-sexualized at, at, at six and eight years old, you know, so we obviously have this really messed up relationship collectively to sex. And so I think that the only way that we can really uh, come into a space of healthy balance with that is to meet that head on and to actually incorporate sexuality into our spiritual practice, you know, and again, not in the sense that now we're going to just screw everything that moves, because to me, that's, that's just a reaction you know, mm -hmm. to the oppression, you know, um, and maybe you're, maybe you're promiscuous and that's fine. I certainly have been. Um, but 
you know, it, it's more about, you know, what is actually feeding you, you know, in a healthy way, what is actually feeding your body, feeding your soul. And so I think by incorporating sexual practices into our craft, we have a better opportunity to sacralize them. That's, that's, yeah, that's so awesome. <laughs> I agree, Pagan. <laughs> and as a as a gay guy myself, I I find a lot of identification in what you're saying there too, Storm. I think that's that's really really important. Um, now we're we're a little bit short on time here, just for the formal recording. So, Storm, if you have extra time, um, even just a few ten or so minutes, I'd love to ask you a little bit more about this. Maybe we could do something like that for our members. I don't mean to put you on the spot there, Certainly. but um, no, it's fine. That's a whole can of worms that I'm sure I could throw a couple more questions uh, from just the topics you brought up there. But again, mm-hmm. just oh, absolutely for, for what it's to. worth here. That wow, that really speaks to me a lot, and I really appreciate that you're writing a book on that subject because I think that there's a lot of folks, um, and I will just speak to the 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 identifying as gay male segment. Um, as everything changes, I, I think this is one aspect that um, in spirituality, again, doesn't it's not spoken about. Like you said, the, the gay sex tends to be still defaults to the taboo, maybe, or yeah. falls away from the holy, as you said, the, the heterosexual was. So I'm really happy to have someone out there doing a book on it because that's mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just going to open up a lot of doors. And I think it's going to work to make people feel more comfortable because you're changing the the way we assume and absorb that. So I hope so. I I certainly hope so. It's, it's a little nerve wracking because it is a little, like I said, more explicit perhaps than some stuff that I've put out there before. Although if you've read, you know, my first, my self-published book, um, stars within the earth, um, I certainly have some poetry in there that is rather explicit. So if people have followed me since then, I don't think they'll be too shocked. (laughs) Um, but if all you've read is Betwixt and Between and Forbidden Mysteries, um, then you might be like, oh, I'm going to see him in a new light now, you know, and um, and that's OK. But I, I was telling my friend Durgados that I was a little nervous and he's like, why? And I'm like, well, you know, it's a little explicit. It's a little different. And he said, oh, Storm, by now, I, I, everybody already knows that you're <laughs> so, it's like, OK, I guess I, I can't fault you there, so. There we are. I, well, you know, I have to say as a bi-female, I'm super excited to read this book because it's going to be a different take on pretty much a lot of the witchcraft books because one of the big topics that a lot of witchcraft books is we don't talk about sex Ooh. ever. Right. Right. Ever. I know. And, and I'm like, you know, we have a whole a cool holiday thing. that celebrates it. Seriously. Right. And especially because Beltane's coming up. So if you guys don't know about sex magic, you should totally look at it because Beltane's coming up on May 1st. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. Huh? <laughs> oh my, it's the 25th already. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. I, it's a coming here, I here in the Northern Hemisphere. Have a good one for you too in that little bonus segment we'll record too. But Storm, off of exactly what, what Pagan just said there too, we now live in a day and age, you mentioned the capitalism aspect, but OnlyFans is now changing uh, the way m- specifically men in America deal with sexuality. And I would be very, very interested to see your thoughts and how that might apply to your book even coming out in this time. Um, because what you expressed was a little bit of fear that it might be, you know, seeing this, uh, dare I say, revolting sort of way, something that might offend the <laughs> eyes. But I don't know, as a guy that's hitting 30 this year, I've just seen a huge about face in the way that 
the 20s crowd is looking at, uh, you know, gay men and all of that. Now, now it's yeah. se- sexuality has just recently become this wildly fluid thing. I think it's because there's potential for money to be involved. And we can talk about mm-hmm. that later and how that kind of changes it. But I-, I think that could be a really interesting conversation for members out there. If you want to grab that one, um, you'll see that up on the podcast or up on the members feed for us. Uh, but to wrap this one out, Storm, could you lay on us uh, any other, maybe you do want to leave us with an extra book recommendation. That's something we love to to ask our guests on the way out the door. But you've been telling us about yours. We got the witch's name written down here. Everyone take notes. And then current working title, you said Brothers of the Art. But uh, yes. what what else should people be looking out for you? Or, or do you want to give them some little homework they might want to do, like a book you might want to recommend from a friend or such? Um, well, there's a couple. If, if you're looking at stuff that, you know, I'm doing, like fairy tradition, um, honestly, Betwixt and Between should be one of the first books that you look at, I would say. I mean, that sounds very full of hubris <laughs> since I'm, you know, I'm um, talking about my own book. Um, but there really hasn't been a book like that before about the fairy tradition specifically. Um, like I said, Spiral Dance by Starhawk, that was pretty much the one um, that kind of introduced fairy tradition to the world. Um, T. Thorne Coyle wrote a book, Evolutionary Witchcraft, that also had a lot of fairy tools. Um, uh, some could say it's a fairy manual. It's a little bit different in terms of um, how she practiced the tradition than from what I do, um, which is perfect. That's great. Um, but Betwixt and Between is the first one that really kind of, it talks about the history of the tradition, both the poetic history and the factual history and, and kind of putting those together, you know, on equal footing. Um, so yeah, if people are interested in that part, that brand we'll say of the fairy tradition, then Betwixt and Between exploring the fairy tradition of witchcraft would be the one I'd recommend. In terms of books by others is actually, I, 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 uh, there's actually a few. I, I, I'd be very remiss if I don't plug my my um, my partners here. So um, so uh, my husband Chaz Bogan wrote a book called The Secret Keys of Conjure, and it's really looking at American folk magic, and that really does play a huge role in the sorcery of fairy tradition. I was always t- told to look at conjure and hoodoo um, because uh, at least one of the founders came from um, the South in an area where that magic was rampant, and kind of brought that in. Um, even to the degree of using Bible verses you know, at times. I know that makes a lot of pagans uncomfortable, but we got to look at that. That's part of the witch. That's part of witchcraft. Um, also, um, um, Devin Hunter, and he wrote the Witch Power series, starting with um, the Witch's Book of Power. Um, that's a really important book. Um, and then Matt Oren um, just came out with that um, breakout hit, Psychic Witch, <laughs> and um, it's like going like gangbusters. And I was really excited to be able to um, to endorse that and, and, and all that. So those, I would say, would give you a really rounded view of the kind of things that I'm talking about. And then one more, I mentioned it before, um, Durgadas Alain Duriel wrote The Little Work. And um, that is such an incredible book, um, not specific, not fairy traditions, more coming out of like hermeticism, but it's in some other th- things intersected, but it's a really good manual on creating a spiritual practice. And I think between all of those, you kind of get a good sense, you get a good rounded education on this type of stuff. So that's, that's where I'll leave that. Everyone's bookshelves just broke after this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's so good. So many good books. Uh, you so better, many good books. <laughs> you better warn Chaz that we'll be we'll be coming knocking on his door soon enough. We have Matt scheduled for an interview coming up here pretty soon, so that's going to be great for folks. I think that's that's going to follow this one in the interview series. So we have uh, just adored this time you spent with us this afternoon, Storm. I I cannot oh, thank, thank you, you enough for that and. Folks out there listening, uh, again, if you didn't read the blog post, little Q&A we did, I think that was around January, February. I'll make sure that's linked. They can get a little extra there. Uh, Devin was on recently to speak with us. Like I said, we got Matt coming up. We mentioned Laura earlier. Lots and lots of great friends and so many good pieces of, of art and books out there. Please go support. So Storm, where do you have everyone go? Is it is it stormfairywolf.com these days? Where do you like to, to send them off to? So you can go to fairywolf.com. That's F-A-E-R-Y-W-O-L-F.com. And it is in bad need of an update. I actually have somebody working on it now. Um, but you can actually, you could schedule um, sessions with me, you know, from that site. Um, hopefully soon I'll have some of my art prints up for sale um, again on, on that because I do um, art prints, you know, based on um the, the different spirits that I work with, but you can also go to our online shop and that's the mystic Um, and then you could always go to modernwitch.com. Um, and that's our, our collaborative effort, all of us together. Um, and that's part of, of course, Devin's podcast, you know, the modern witch podcast. Um, but we have a lot of things up there as well. Um, and we have some plans to uh, unveil more soon. Um, so definitely check those out. Um, but yeah, and then um, you could also go to the Mystic Dream Academy.com. And that is our online school in which you could actually sign up for Black Rose Witchcraft and some other classes as well. You know, there's the Modern Conjure course. Um, I teach um, courses in Reiki. Um, so those are all things that you could access there and a few other things as well. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all of it. We're such a huge fan of everything going on with the Modern Witch mm-hmm. crew. So. Thank you. Uh, I, we thank just adore you. it all. Storm, thank you again. We will, like I mentioned, we'll, we'll chat with you a little bit here extra after this recording. So folks out there listening, you check out all the show notes. We'll combine the links there. Fairywolf.com is where you can go in the meantime. The mysticdream.com, modernwitch.com. We'll have them all combined in a nice grouping. Uh, but Storm, like I said, thank you again. Everyone out there, yes. stay safe, and we'll chat with you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.